Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. It's Eric. Yeah, I'm back. And with me is Robert, as always. Well, looks like you found your way out of the warp this time, Eric. I did this time. Thank you for holding down the fort while I was gone. I appreciate it. You and Ray did a great job. Once again, the, the fan mail's flowing in, making that a more regular thing. So we'll have to figure out a way to do that with Ray's schedule. I mean, at that point, we send we attach a rope to him. We throw him into the warp to go and fish it out. <laughs> so that's one of the key things. But also things coming out of the warp. You know, we saw the preview not too long ago. This weekend, you can pre-order yourself a Horus Heresy. Remember, it's not a 40K model, but a Horus Heresy uh, Fulgrim. I think it's a Fulgrim Transfigured is what they're calling this guy. Yep. And as an FYI, I think people already looked at it. It is $270. Yeah. Yeah. So those of you who are thinking, oh, it might make these demon prints to add to my chaos collection um be curious to see i i don't know what the answer is we'll have to see how many they actually sell sell excuse me and uh how many you actually see on the tabletop because i have a feeling some of like the painting competition guys will probably pick up one or two of those up but um i don't mm-hmm. know this is an extra demon prince <laughs> 270 bucks uh, that's that's kind of steep <laughs> yeah and we all it from the pictures of fulgrim it's hard to tell exactly how big that base is. There's a lot of things about it. I'm trying to figure out how big he is, like how tall are those wings, how all of that. It's it's uh-huh. generally the the horse heresy models tend to be on the small side. So I'm like, I don't know. So yes, actually on Forge World they do say what base size is on. It's on a oh. on a 100 millimeter base. All right, all right. So yes, the same size base as a Telamon Dreadnought, as an Armager. It's a big model okay okay i don't remember armature costing 270 dollars but that's okay we're good <laughs> but yes it is definitely pro is definitely one of the most beautiful models i've ever seen in the amount of detail just continuing the fashion of forge world being where you get all of the prettiest models ever <laughs> yeah it's true even the Sigmar models, though, are starting to really discontinue to impress. I just kind of wish some more of the new 40K models kind of followed, you know, with more of those centerpiece models. Silent King was really cool, but mm-hmm. not really seeing that so far in a lot of the other factions. So hopefully we'll start seeing that soon as more of the codices get released. So we'll see, if, see what Games Workshop brings us. Yeah, I'm going to laugh when Admex centerpiece model is just a really big guy on stilts. <laughs> oh, the guy on stilts. Yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, there should be another preview coming out soon because the WCW is right around the corner. For those who don't know, the Warhammer Chan- World War... Word- oh, boy, I set that up and squashed it down there. That was perfect. <laughs> Warhammer World... Cha- what is it now? The World Championships of Warhammer? Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. All right. There we go. <laughs> it's only a few weeks away, and supposedly we were supposed to be getting another model preview uh, with that. So, yep. And on the topic of events, I think next year I'm going to go to Gen Con to see if I can see that preview in person. That'd be kind of neat. I went to Gen Con many, many years ago. I was too young to appreciate it. I was kind of upset with myself, but. Give you an idea how old I am. This is this is gonna shock some people. Some players are gonna be like, I have no idea what he's talking about. I picked up a pre pre-release copy of TSR's Star Frontiers, which was their science fiction version of Dungeons and Dragons at Gen Con. That is very old, Eric. <laughs> I still have it too. <laughs> I refuse to throw it out. It was a terrible game, but it was fun, so <laughs> But yes, I plan on trying to make it to Gen Con that year. And if there's a tournament there, I'm going to play in it. But it is definitely more of, yeah, let's go watch the preview. Let's go experience Gen Con. I've never been before. 
I'm pretty sure there's going to be a tournament there. There's been in previous years, and I think it, during COVID it kind of died out, so I don't know if they're going to bring it back. But um, I always like there's this one hall, and I have a name for it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. And that's basically where we work with all the startup companies. Are like squat, you know, kind of shoved in a corner. So I've, you can just find like a lot of one-off companies and stuff like they have like one product or one game that's always really cool to look at. And uh, also our, our our buddies there at the uh, Necronom Nom Nom, they're they're always at Gen Con, so selling their cookbooks and longtime sponsor of the show. So you can check them out. They actually have a third book coming out soon. I'm very excited to see what they come out with. So. So it's going to be Necro Nom Nom Nom. I believe so. I'm trying to remember. Three noms. Three noms this time. So, and those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, you'll hear the commercial later in the show. But they are a line of cookbooks. They have a, a line of cocktails to go with. They said food that all are themed around Cthulhu. So all kinds of. It's perfect this time of year, especially for Halloween. So I just hosted a Halloween uh, bash for my daughters. Uh, friends last weekend and it was just a lot of fun to really turn ordinary food into really spooky things and make you think twice about it and some of the stuff tasted really good too it was really fun although the jello brain was disgusting oh my god <laughs> i think because it like jiggled like a real brain it looked like oh, it was, i couldn't get myself to eat that that was really gross <laughs> yeah yeah i did not get to do anything for halloween this year because I work on Halloween. I do too. I'm, and at the last minute, they're having a Halloween contest, like a costume contest with a potluck at work. And I'm going like, I'm barely in the office that day. I'm like, do I even bother? I, I don't know. I'm really frustrated. Plus I really need to get home in time to make sure that the, the kids are ready to go. So plus the, our neighborhood, how many, how many kids do you get for your house for hollow for trick or treating? Uh, that number has fluctuated for a good couple of years now. Okay. So we averaged the first year we moved here, we were not prepared. Um, we had literally 400 kids come to the house. <laughs> and I think we're down to about 275. It's back up since COVID. So we'll have to see. Also, some of the kids have aged out. So we'll see if the new generation comes around again. So, yep, that's usually what happens. Yeah, it's busy here. So. <laughs> But anyway, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Uh, one other key competitive announcement, and uh, there's a lot of players out there that feel that the best way to play 40K is through team format. And um, a lot of people also feel that um, it's the best way to circumvent the unbalanced uh, systems that comes out with the codex releases and just disagreeing with how Games Workshop runs the game. So... Stateside, we pretty much only have the ATC. Um, most of Europe has the WTC. That's about to change. We have a new event on the horizon. So our folks at Frontline Gaming are introducing the Champions Cup 2024. So this event will be in um, November of next year, so a year from now. But uh, they are already taking applications if you want to play in it. And I'll just read it verbatim. This is the pinnacle of competitive 40K. Clubs will send eight of their champions to battle it out and determine who is worthy of winning the Champions Cup this year. This eight-person event is entirely community-created and will be the largest eight-person event in the U.S. Despite its size, each table will feature beautiful, functional terrain as well as professional judging support. This highly competitive event will also predominantly showcase all aspects of the hobby. This will include focusing on and celebrating the entire community behind the club whose eight champions will be battling it out for the tournament. Robert, what do you think of all that? A team event, big fun time. Yeah. So part of it, there's a couple of key things I, I agree with you. It's team event, big fun time. I'm not sure they where they're having this event. I'm, I'm reading through the article as I go through it. I missed it. But um, the ATC has kind of been the big dog when it comes to team events here in the States. And um, I have utmost respect for the player skill for those who go to the WTC, but the idea of taking seven to nine days off to play Warhammer in a somewhere in Europe, and usually it's one of the smaller countries, 
uh, it's not in my budget, nor is it in my time. And trust me, I don't think any any nations are knocking on my door. We need you on the team right now. So this is kind of a nice alternative. I'm kind of looking forward to this. And um, it'll be in Southern California. It's a little vague. So it's actually driving distance for us. Um, interesting. Eight players, you're going to go pretty deep. So you're going to need a wide range of factions. A year from now, we should have, I want to estimate, 12 codices out. So we have yeah. the yeah. ready to play with. Because just in the first quarter of 2024 is the release of Dark Angels, Tau, Orcs, and Custodes. So with, and then you have Tyranid, Space Marines, Admech, and Necrons. So that's at least eight already. And then the last thing, they've mentioned several times the uh, all aspects of the hobby. So be curious as how much emphasis they're putting on painting and display and all that. That's generally not on brand for frontline gaming. Frontline gaming is sort of the uh, the old boys, uh, hard boys kind of method of playing. You show up with an army, and uh, as long as you got three colors, you're ready to throw down. Whereas you know, Nova has the uh, capital palette, and uh, Depticon is by far the king. Where you have to, your team event, your team has to have a theme throughout all the armies that show up. Interesting that's going to be also a painting competition. Yep, it's very much the idea they're going to actually take more thematic things in... in Wow, I just have... Anyway, they're going to make painting more important now because of the fact that the at all the events that I've been to, I have never seen a major focus on paint score or painting events unless you were someone that put so much time into your army that you are chasing after best painted at the event. Yeah, I would agree. It's It's been a long time. And I kind of the, the paint, you know, the there's uh, the guys on Spiky Bits used to, Bring bringing hobby back, you know that that whole part of the painting was part of the pageantry of it, and it seems like the guys that are chasing best overall are such a small group of the of the populace now. There's guys that are chasing best best appearance, and then the guys are there to to win on best general. There are very few that cross both both circles of the Venn diagram on that. Mm-hmm. It's a shame because it's 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 um it's a big part of the hobby, you know. Yeah, I know that's why after when I went to Reno this year, I kind of made up my goal of, yeah, I like painting and I like playing. If I win an event, cool. I somehow played well enough in Luckdown matchups to win an event. But the thing that I have control over more so is how good of a job did I paint my army? How pretty is my army does it and all of the other facets of the actual hobby of the hobby so why don't i continue doing that and show up with this equivalent to castle grayskull thing that i've seen appear like twice when it was where it was dark angels right yeah some of the display boards are there's some that are pretty elaborate but some of them are also just clunky you know for lack of a better term it's um they're going to steal a line from Food Network. Uh, they're, they're off who does uh, Charm City Cakes. He does. He likes to do you know extravagant things. And one of the things he hates is you know sheet cakes with junk on it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that you see a lot of display boards that are that. They're just like okay, they got a backdrop, they got some random stuff in the corners, and the army sits on top, and there's not much to it. You know that sort of thing. But. Um, I get it. Transporting that stuff is sometimes not the easiest, and um, especially if you're traveling by air. So, I don't, I'm I'm curious what as more details come out about this. Um, the other thing you and I talked about briefly uh, offline, but I know you guys touched on it last week, so I don't want to harp on it too long. Terrain for FLG events. Lo and behold, FLG came out with a terrain kit. You happen to purchase one uh, that matches the GW layout. Is this the end of player place terrain? Is this going to be the future of FLG events? 
I haven't seen anything, so... Well, I know when they were talking about SoCal Open, they made a big deal about it where something like 30 tables were going to be full of this terrain. That's a lot. Okay. And from putting together the the set I have, this stuff can function both as US open style terrain where you use the plex the, the acrylic base. Or if you don't use the bases, they can function as a really, really good line of sight blocking buildings for player place terrain. Interesting. No, the stuff looked great. Thank you so much for bringing it to the RTT because that was a, a lifesaver. Uh, we needed that table. And, um, but when I saw it, yeah, I saw it in person. It's pretty impressive. I Normally, I'm kind of like, some of the, the FLG stuff is generally very hit or miss for me. There's certain ones that I'm like, that's awesome. Or that one's, and that's a piece of junk. And that one's really cool. I was thoroughly impressed. It seems like they've really upped their game with, with those pieces. So, hopefully come up with new themes because it's kind of a generic theme right now. Yeah. The, on their website, they have it themed to match their newest matte color. So that's why it's pretty bland looking because it's meant to be on that matte. Yeah, that would make sense. So what I'm thinking is it's very Imperial. So I know they have, like one of the sets that I really like from FLG is the, the orc terrain. You know, that's, if you get a chance to get your hands on it, you can make that into pretty much anything you want. You don't always have to follow the instructions that are in the book. It gives you enough material and at that price, it's ready to go. It's, it, that's one of the best things to get. Even the much maligned uh, Necron terrain with the new, um, what's we're looking for, US Open style. Mm-hmm. use some of that now in the past like those obelisks were too small to really use as line of sight blocking now you put them on the bases and it's just like if you look at the US Open streams where they put those Mechanicus uh, furnace uh, columns and stuff mm-hmm. they're about the same size so now those things are really in tune with what you need so I'm, I'm kind of excited I'm curious to see what they come up with yeah the the other thing I like about the FLG set is the fact that parts of the building are varied in size. So you have the instance of, oh, hey, my my big stompy thing can walk over this part of the building, but my little guys can't. Yeah, that is kind of nice. That's it's very much a, uh, as I'm going down the rabbit hole of building terrain to match the US Open, I'm finding how important that is to function out. Mm-hmm tables yep and this is a slight tangent but it does mention the functionality of terrain i had a game against thousand suns the other day someone actually made my opponent made magnus fly up over and down a building oh my that's crazy talk yep he advanced him he double moved him we did the math you could end up 10 inches away from that building looky there because it was one of the other FLG sets it was one of like the big boxy buildings oh yeah the imperial ones yeah like one of the gothic ruin ones I think so it was literally just a uh huh uh huh uh huh okay 10 inches (laughs) but yes at that point we'll have to play test against the US open terrain to see how we can possibly improve it if we can, but otherwise putting it together sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. So all right, so terrain we've talked terrain and talked news. It's time to get into the tournament action. Let's find out what what's been playing, who's been working their way up the rankings. Where do you want to start this week? Well, I will just say this now. None of them are on our home turf. <laughs> yeah. So Interesting I think... how, yeah, yeah not, not a, no big events this week in the uh, United States. So it's, that was kind of odd. 
Yep. So I think we're going to start the farthest away because technically they're in the future. Um, we'll go down to Australia to go to Orktoberfest. Indeed. So tomorrow. Indeed. There was a total of 51 players here and the top five look something kind of like Joshua McGowan in fifth place with Votan in fourth place is Jacob Warren with Gene Steeler Colts in third place is David Truman with Blood Angels in second place is Wayne Russell with Black Legion and then in first place is Ben Warrior with Adeptus Mechanicus that's right folks add back one an event yeah um and judging by his simple list name I fully expect to see 18 breachers in here so yeah, it's double dominus, double manipulus, two techno archaeologists. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And then some units of Vanguard, more units of Vanguard, a couple of Dune Riders, and yep, there they are. Eighteen preachers, all with heavy arc rifles. Nice. And then one unit of horses. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure. Most of those characters were either healing them back up or providing rerolls left and right. Something like that. But when your most expensive character is only a hundred points after an enhancement, that's pretty good. Indeed. But yes, congratulations to Ben Warrior for pulling what happened at, I believe it was the Tampa Open where the Sisters player won the event. Yes. <laughs> Where it's like, hey, I'm going to pull myself out of the hat. <laughs> that was pretty wild. Not going to lie. I keep looking at that. And I'm like, I need to see some. I haven't had a chance to go back and stream any of the games that he played. I don't know if they're still available at this point. But... Yeah. What, you know, how did he do that? And how did he do that with sisters? So, mm. I guess he got real good at the game. <laughs> guess so. And then I'm going to take a random guess and the other farther away one that's closer to us is the Super All-Stars Hellstorms Major that happened in England. Had a nice, like 109 players, or like 109 or 108 players or something like that. Nice. Yeah, there's 12 out of 120 tickets remaining, but anyway. So the top five are very much like this. They do, they kind of split up the listing funny because they did, they have a Swiss bracket and then they have the bracket number, bracket one. But I mean, they probably only did that for the last two. So the top five starts with James Webster playing Eldar. In fourth place is Matt Goliger. Well, Goliar, I think is how that's pronounced. With Ultramar. Yeah, Matt Goliar <laughs> with Ultramarines. In third place is Christopher Langton with Necrons. In second place, I've seen this name floating around before. Josh Roberts with Eldar. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. And then the only person that Josh lost to is the guy who came in first place, Alex Petford, also with Eldar. Nice. Yep, there's the Incarn. The usual trimmings. Double Night Spinner. A Brick of Ten Wraith Guard. Some Warp Spiders. Some Shadow Spectres. No Fire Prisms. That's interesting. Okay. Eh, it's, it's not that interesting. It's kind of expected because the Fire Prisms are humongously expensive. The oh, Night Spinners are... This isn't like a most innovative list. This is, this is kind of like... It's Thanksgiving, or they brought, you know, stuffing instead of um, a cranberry sauce. You know, that's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know the the Night Spinners, they're, they're non-LOS. Well, their indirect fire ha- also has devastating wounds attached to it. So at that point, you don't need to draw line of sight, and the guns are fairly long range, if I remember correctly. So you get to just... 
Yeah, they're pretty powerful. That's from what I understand that they, it's not one of those things they'll kill you in one turn, but by turn three, you're just going to like, okay, it's too late. I really needed to kill those early. So, mm -hmm. And because they're indirect fire with long range, they hide behind walls really, really easy. Yeah. Whereas, wow, Mr. Roberts went harder on the Night Spinners. He brought three of them. And the Avatar, and the Incarn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I remember hearing about the whole strategy is the Night Spinners, because they're indirect fire. They, so he he takes three of them, bombards a single unit, kills it, and then you fling the Incarn, because he didn't need mm -hmm. line of sight, and you have that great range. All of a sudden, the Incarn is way far forward, and you're not ready to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And then just when you need them to come back, you just kill something close by and bring them back so yep but yes congratulations to mr petford for coming out of this seven round ordeal undefeated that is no small task not at all that's pretty impressive and then the last one i don't know where valencia is but i'm pretty that... sure it's closer than england it is <laughs> That's for sure. I'm not exactly sure where it is in Spain, but yeah, Valencia is. Uh, no, it's in Spain, but I'm not exactly sure where, like in relation to Barcelona or Madrid. So I apologize for that. Our geography is not our strong point on this team. Nope, nope. I like I jokingly said a couple of weeks ago, Georgia is the most northern state. No, I was completely and utterly wrong. <laughs> you did not, did you really? Yes, I did. I don't. I've never been to Georgia. Okay. The devil went down to Georgia. This should have been your first clue. <laughs> hey, man, I live in Arizona. Georgia is more north than we are. By a few inches, yes. But anyway. <laughs> so, yes, the, the top five of Tornio Octubre are is something like this. This is also a WTC tagged event. So they were using the differential scoring rather than the one zero to 100. And the top five are very much a toss up of only like four, like four different armies. In fifth place is someone just called Yzma with a silly emoji playing Yunari. In fourth place is Jose Ibanez with Necrons. And third place is Pedro Alcaraz with also Eldar. In second place is Francisco Pelon Lopez with Yunari. And first place was Alejandro Mancuso Serrano with Blood Angels. Nice job there. I'm pretty sure I butchered at least one or two of those names. But yes, the Blood Angels is a Gladius Task Force. Very much a... <laughs> It's a better detachment than the actual Blood Angels one. It makes me very, very sad, even though I don't play Marines. Some Aggressors. A lot of Death Company. Some Devastators, some Inceptor Squads, a couple of Infiltrators. Death 20 Death Company in total. You mean Death Wing? No, no, it's Blood Angels, not Dark Angels. Oh, I thought it was Dark Angels. My bad. That's no, that's all on me. Sorry, I was going like, what? Wait a minute. I thought they were Dark Angels. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, for they're... some reason. They're red Blood dark angels. angels, Eric. It's fine. That's right. My bad. <laughs> so yes, it Lamartes, a lieutenant, the the super sneaky lieutenant with combi weapon with artificer armor. I played against that in one game with my custodians. That dude is heckin' annoying, man. Because he can run away and stuff. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a punk man. Got to deal with him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's bolter aggressors total of 20 death company all with jump packs some devastators three units of inceptors um two of them with plasma and one of them oh so it's actually three six twelve inceptors there we go yeah so there's a small unit with bolters a small unit with plasma and then a big brick with plasma it took me a second to like why does it say five Oh, duh, six bodies. <laughs> Some infiltrators, a small scout squad, and then a librarian dreadnought. 
the only vehicle in the entire roster. <laughs> that was surprising, but I guess it works. So, well, I mean, when you can deep strike um, five hundred and twenty points of just Death Company, they all have Infernal Pistols and Power Fists. You still have like four hundred points that you can deep strike away, which would effectively be the six man inceptor squad and then like one other inceptor unit maybe like there's there's just a lot of stuff that you can keep off the table to drop in and smack your opponent with on turn two or turn three and eric if you are trying to talk you are muted i'm not nope let's try to listen in kind of go like okay i think we've covered that one so just been any parting thoughts before we get into all the standings i'm back so i can update you guys on all the the rankings throughout the uh, meta here. Ah, yes, yes, that is very important. So. My bad. I didn't know if the warp took you away again. No, <laughs> no. Just pause for effect there. So anyway, so a couple of key uh, exclusives here. We'll bring back an old favor. We'll get the old favor. We haven't talked about the ITC in a while. We're getting close to LVO, and um, that usually wraps up the ITC season, and currently the top 10 looks something like this. 10th place, Stephen Crawley with 1,320 points. Christopher Radford's in 9th. Brian Sleep, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, in 8th. Ben Jarek in 7th. Ennis Wilson in 6th. Nassim Fushan in 5th. Rochester in 4th. Joshua Roberts in 3rd, which we mentioned earlier. TJ Lanigan in 2nd. And on top of this mess is uh, Manny Chima with 1,514 points. He has an over about 107 point lead over TJ between first and second, and then the cluster that's between third and eighth is he's got about a 200 point lead there. So, barring a one of those guys, happens, it's gonna be pretty hard to catch um, Manny uh, going through. Also, remember that those standings include the first half of the year, which means the first half of the year, which was ninth edition. So, which brings us to yep. We here at the Exterminus Podcast came up with our own ranking system. And it's been updated after this week's action, where we're only looking at 10th edition games. And uh, we have two uh, for ease of listening here on the podcast. The competitor, the contender bracket, as I was trying to say. Uh, this one calls the top players that are, so far, have been getting amassing the most points, but have yet to win a major event. And they are the following. Uh, Zach Camo with 10 points. Sean Reynolds also with 10 points. This was Nick. I, uh, ooh, how do I pronounce that? Gaiello? Nick, I'm terribly sorry. I c- killed that one. Along with Nathan Princey and Joel Davis, all tied with 10 points. Uh, right behind, uh, right above them, actually, is Eric Taft with 14. Cody Giroux had a great event uh, earlier this month, holding him up to 16 points. And Brad Chester leads the contenders at 17 points. So that's the good news. They got a lot of points, but the bad news is they don't have a win. So that keeps them out of the championship bracket. Looks something like this. Brett Simon with 10 points. Josh Roberts, mentioned earlier, with 11 points. Colin Kay with 12. Stephen Crawley with 13. Matthew Burgoon with 15. Then a whole bunch of Canadians here. Tim uh, Dietzlev and Steve Trimble all tied with 18 points. And then from the States, but in the Midwest region, and Cherwin also with 18 points, but on top by a wide margin is good old Ben Jurek. 27 points. He's got five events that he finished in the top six and has won two events already this year. He's only one of four players to have won two events since 10 Division has dropped. Yeah, that's. I honestly think that this is. This could possibly be Ben's year so too uh, he's a little got a little bit of making up to do in the itc area but um like i said he's got a, a firm lead in our ranking system so we're very excited to see that but then again most of us cannot dream of being five and oh six and oh seven and oh winning shadow rounds most of us are way back in the x minus two x minus three range and yes folks it's back by popular demand Mid-table obscurity. What is the meta look like at the X minus two, X minus three range? So what I have done is gone over to uh, StatCheck's website and sorted out the most popular factions 
that have won two or three events, three games in an event. Uh, this is now since the Codex Space Marines has dropped, and we've had a big shakeup. So the two most populous armies are still Space Marines and Eldari. So yes, even though Eldari is known for being breaking all the rules when it comes to winning events, they're still very prominent in the mid-table. So make sure you're uh, appropriately uh, gunned to ready to face them. Right behind them is Chaos Space Marines. They've kind of become the new boogeyman, winning several events. But they are also still whooping it up on the mid-tables. Uh, still a lot of players uh, having fun with their Leviathan box sets as Tyranids make up the next one. And then there's a big tie between Necrons, Death Guard, and Astro Militarum. Never would have guessed Guard is one of the top six most popular armies among the mid-table. I can tell you right now, my army is not situated to deal with Guard. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the excuse is, who doesn't like making vroom vroom sound effects when you move your tanks across the table, man? Uh, I just hate Guard so much. <laughs> God, those stupid tanks. Hundreds of men, and then I just dish out orders, and they all become elite. I'm like, what, what the hell is this? Uh, I hate them. <laughs> Okay, okay, that is a very fair point. That is the same general disdain that I have towards Thousand Sons. Not the players that play them, but the literal army. I do not like them. Yeah, I'm kind of the same boat. It's not my favorite army. But it's it, it's a very interesting when you look at this, though. So you've got Necrons and Death Guard, you know, pretty much all about resiliency. Then you've got Tyranids, which are all right now about battle shock. Seems like a lot of the newer... Lists are all around winning primaries, either boarding you out or just causing so much battle shock that you can't ever win on the primaries. Chaos Space Marines are probably the probably most successful melee army in 10th edition, but also bring a lot of shooting with Forge Fiends. Eldari, we, we know exactly what they bring, but it's interesting with Space Marines. Everybody's got a Space Marine army, so there was probably no hobby lag as soon as that codex dropped. Just buy a few new units and you're good to go. Yep. And for those for those people that invested in two or three of the Leviathan boxes, those ballistas dreadnoughts are a big workhorse. They get a whole bunch of they get rerolls at a certain point. They're firing big, big guns at things that you need those guns to crack. And they're not that slow. They only move eight inches, but eight inches on a pretty solid firing platform is kind of a big deal. One of the things we brought, we brought this out is uh, everybody talks about the winning meta, but it's very interesting to see which armies are dominating the tops of the charts, but are almost non-existent in the mid tables. Uh, right off the bat, Adeptus Sororitas. Um, they have an over-rep rating of 2.17, which means that they are more represented at the tops of the levels. That's actually one of the third, so I have to eyeball it here fourth highest in the meta right now but they are the second least popular army when it comes to mid tables so you're going to hear a lot of podcasts talk about how you need to watch out for the new rise of sisters yeah well if you're in the middle tables you're probably not going to see them not going to have to worry about it uh right above them is also gene stealer cult uh they still have an over rep rating at 2.31 a 59% uh, win rate and make up 13% of the meta, but they only make up 2% of the meta in the mid tables. And you're talking, that is a major drop. So basically the guys that know what they're doing, they're playing Gene Sierra Cult to the top of the tables. The guys that just like to collect a lot of models with extra arms. Yeah. They're not doing so hot. <laughs> yeah. That is definitely where I can feel for them. Cause in one of the local shops down here there's a lot of fresher players and a good chunk of them got space marines that one of them picked up eldar and another one has custodians but there's a couple of guys where it's like yeah i want to play gene stealer cult what models do i need acolytes and hybrids all right what else do i need more acolytes and hybrids yeah. I need a ton of them that's one thing i was kind of like disappointed with the and needed to change. You can't just recycle your units over and over again, but I thought this was kind of a lazy way to not have to buy as many models. 
I mean, it also comes down to the same issue with guard. I actually talked to someone who was just starting to get into the hobby. So he had not bought a miniature at all ever. He was hoping to get the core book and read up on lore. He is looking at guard and I could see it in his eyes. He loved the Bane blade. He was just like, that is a big tank. He was scared of the price tag. <laughs> yeah, it's an expensive model. So it's still fulgrim, but it's still expensive. <laughs> well, when you get a model that legitimately has seven turret variants, you better put Magnus in that thing. <laughs> yeah. I would love to have two, seven turret variants. <laughs> I don't think any of my armies have any <laughs> more than two. I'm just like, that'd be nice. See, I may have done like super crazy conversion stuff on my knights, but buying seven Bane Blades to just have each variant, I can't justify that. <laughs> no, that's a bit much. Because then you have to paint all of them and you might have to, no, that's a, that's a, rabbit hole i don't want to go down that terrifies even me don't want to be doing that so so there you go yeah so if you're looking at percentage yeah, the big the big dogs right now uh black templar 14 percent of the players uh go four and oh gene silicon 13 percent, but both of them only make up two percent of the meta when it comes to the armies so actually finished uh with two wins or three wins uh, Chaos Space Marines, they have actually won the most events. They're the only faction that has won um, more than one event since these case, Chaos. Since the Codex Space Marines dropped they, uh, the, the Black Mirror to the uh, Space Marines, they've won three events since their Codex dropped. So, mm -hmm. And then they're getting their own Codex soon, so I'll be curious to see what they get. So, Yeah, I'm, I am a little worried about the Marine supplements as they come out. Uh, yeah, I'm not happy about that. Because the the Dark Angels, okay, you have the the Unforgiven, which is their generic detachment one. Then, how are they going to do themed detachments for that? Because there's the Death Wing, mm -hmm. there's the Green Wing, and then there's the Raven Wing. So obviously, Raven Wing is all of the super fast stuff, super sneaky, like. Vikes, Valkyries, um, Talon Masters, all that stuff. The Green Wing is like the mixed troops. So Intercessors with heavy tanks, with some bikers and other stuff. And the Death Company is the classic I am Terminator bricks. You're not making me go anywhere. I would probably say the Green Wing to me has always been the Plasma Specialist. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe that was just the meta at the time. But it's, when I think of Green Wing, I think of just rows and rows and rows of uh, all the guys in robes with plasma guns. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could very well be another detachment in itself where it focuses on plasma guns. Yeah, that might be. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Ray and I were talking about this during the week. You know, you know, most codices are getting six detachments. Some of them are getting five. The Marine one got seven and it doesn't always just line up as what were the old chapter tactics and let's just create a, a detachment around it or an archetype. There's some armies I look at that and go, how are you going to get more than three out of that? I don't know. And um, so I'm curious what they do. Yeah, I honestly believe that for the Marine Supplement books, it will most likely just be three detachments. I would guess so. Uh, I always just, it just always gets, the only thing I'm looking forward to, and it's probably the biggest change, and this is more of a TO speaking than a player, is it doesn't matter if it's a detachment, supplement, or the Space or the space Ring Codex. The idea is that I took this detachment, and these are the only six stratagems attached to it, and these enhancements. None of this, I'm going to take a smattering of Dark Angels, a smattering of Blood Angels, and a little bit of the main codex, and all of a sudden I had this unintended overlapping buff that doesn't that wasn't supposed to happen. It's like, oh. Mm -hmm. that, that's one thing I, I am looking forward to with how they set this up. It's going to be, I take that, and it's standalone. I, I can't mix and match from the other books. 
Yeah, you can't have Gilliman walking around with a whole bunch of Imperial fists. Right. Well, well, yeah. But the idea is that, okay, or you can't have Gilliman gives him this buff, and then, but then the Imperial fists get this buff, and then the Dark, then the Deathwing get this buff. So I'm going to put the, that buff from the Deathwing on the Imperial Fist guys because they all share an Astartes keyword. I'm like, no, that's not how it's supposed to work. Yeah. The the army that I'm curious on what they're going to do is actually Tau. Because beforehand, Tau only had Montka and Kaoyun. So you only had two ways of really playing it unless you played Farsight Enclaves, which then was like, Oh, we're going to be close range Tau. How close? Um, we're probably punching you. So I don't know. I don't know if they, they, they kind of like a fish of fury type detachment comes out with all all troops and all double fish. I don't know. Well, like I know there. Like obviously the the basic one is going to be Montka, and then they're probably going to make Kaoyun a separate one. So you have the patient hunter and then the aggressive stalker or something like that, where you want the alpha strike in that detachment. So like it could possibly give your crisis suits and stuff extra movement. It could possibly give them infiltrate. Something that lets you forward deploy and be aggressive. Yeah, that would make sense. I'm not sure. If the Tau have gone through so many so many rewrites in terms of how they play. It's just what it's going to be like, okay, brace yourself. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Tau is one. I don't, uh, Eldari is another one. You know, do you even acknowledge now? Are, are they just going to do craft worlds? Are they going to do a separate, you know, I originally thought an aria was just going to be an attachment. Now they made it its own craft world, but then they switched it back to it's, it's wide open. They've got its own rules at this point. What do those attachments look like? Are they going to go back to the old epic stuff where you have the mechanized, you have the thousand and one aspect warriors, and or you have the waves of guardians as these the citizens marching to to battle? Uh, I don't know. You know, I'd be curious to see what they come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a lot of and stuff that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It's, I'm... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> there, there's just a. There's just a lot of stuff that is eventually going to come out that may be super fun and may be super broken. We were, we won't know until we see it. Yeah, we won't. Usually the broken stuff is like I said. We're taking three things from four different books and overlapping them, and I go, no, stop that. Yeah. I just know when the Custodian book starts coming out, um, I'm going to try and do the same thing I did with the last Codex. I'm going to try and not see as many of the spoilers, so that way I can get the book and be like, huzzah! Mm. But I know that's going to be impossible because the internet exists. (laughs) It was hard. Yeah, sometimes you're just kind of like, oh, I don't want to read too much. I forgot what... what well, when we were doing a Spike Club Open, that was trying like, don't read the previews, you know, because I was trying to make sure I didn't get the new rules mixed up with the, there was like a FAQ that came out like that Wednesday or Thursday. I was like, don't read it. Don't read it. Don't mess you up. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, yeah, there's not a whole, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on this week. So it was a pretty quiet week. So I hope we still uh, kept you guys entertained for the last hour. Um, any other questions you have for any of our hosts, hit us up on our Facebook page. And uh, we'll be posting a little bit more on Instagram and a few kind of kind of an idea. I'll probably put some of the uh, standings in a nice little video format there. So you can start looking for that in the near future. And of course, if there's an event in your local area that you would like us to promote or talk about on the show, send us a line. We'd be more than happy to talk about your top five finishers. In the meantime, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Exterminatus Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament 
can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from RedDukeGames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp, or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So, if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook.